But in any case, whether one size fits all or not, Jesus still calls us to be faithful in what we do with our resources. He's not just making suggestions or raising some possibilities for considerations. And the truth is we may need to go through pruning seasons where we intentionally cut back, where we say, you know what, I, I've, I've gotten so that I have more than I need in these areas, or, or I'm, I'm spreading what I have too thin, and I need to evaluate that. It may be because we're meeting a special need in, in our community or our family. It may become permanent if we realize, hey, my priorities and my spending, what I'm doing with my time, it's gotten rather misaligned. And we need to, let's bring that back. And that's one of the reasons why we observe Lent. At, at least some of us do. We do it in different ways. It's not because we're slavishly devoted to man-made traditions. It's because we want to take a few weeks and maybe examine our lives and see where we're at. How much money am I spending on tar- Starbucks or Tim's each week? How many, how many minutes or how many hours even am I looking at a screen on, on social media or something like that? Should I be investing that money in the ministry of my local church or supporting missionaries or sponsoring a needy child like we've heard about already? Should I be investing more of that time in praying or serving in some way. So, so what do we do, like actually do, about all of this? Jesus is, is pretty clear. It, it's supposed to get to the level of doing. Start small. Now, that might seem counterintuitive because I've just been going on about this is like a whole life thing and 100% of your resources are the Lord's and so forth. And so it might seem kind of counterintuitive to say, well, just start small. The truth is, if we wait until we feel like making a total life commitment of everything we have and are, we're never going to do it. If, if we wait to feel that inspired and that passionate, it's probably not going to happen, at least not for many of us. And let's remember the logic in Jesus' teaching. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Even small steps, when they're taken in obedience to the Holy Spirit's prompting and in the power and the grace that he supplies— They can build, like investing a little bit of money over time. They can do their work as we allow the Spirit to be active in that, to slowly change our hearts, to love more and more the things the Lord loves. Maybe it's something as simple as as cutting back on a coffee purchase. So think of this. If you spend two or three dollars on coffee at Starbucks or Tim Hortons or whatever every day, if that's just a habit, think about that. So that's two or three dollars a day, that's ten or fifteen dollars a week, that's forty-five to sixty dollars a month. Well there's a, there's a child sponsored right there. I think we heard it's forty-two bucks approximately. Now, what's say like fifteen people did it? That's like seven to ten thousand dollars a year in finances that have been freed up just by just by foregoing a coffee. You know, that, that's the beginnings of a ministry position. Small things compound in what they do out here, but they also compound in what they do in here as well, as I've been saying. Number two, do what you can. In, in our earlier reading that, that Wes read for us, we, we learned about three men who were given resources to, to do something with 
for their master. One got five, one got two, and the one got one. And the one that got five, he earned five more, and he was commended by his master. But I think it's really instructive to look at the man who was given two, two talents, two amounts of of silver probably, of wealth, of money, of resources. He was given less than half of what the other guy was. He got five. This guy only got two. But because he was faithful in it, he's commended in exactly the same way by the master. They both are told, you earned well, you did good with what I gave you. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Well, he had less than half of what the other guy did, and yet he was still commended in the exact same way. That's significant. Don't wait until you have abundance or, or think you do in order to invest your, your resources in the Lord's kingdom. Right? You're, there's always this illusion that sometime in the future I'm going to have enough money that I can be generous or I'm going to have enough time that then I'll serve. Once I'm done school, then I won't have all these papers to do. Oh, but now I'm done school, but I have to work at a job to pay for it, so I don't have time to serve. Oh, now I have little children at home. I can't serve now. And pretty soon, you're 87, and you're still, oh, now I'm old, and what am I going to do, right? There's never going to be a time in your life when it's just, oh, I've got nothing but spare time and spare money laying around. Start with where you're at now. If you can't give away five bucks for the kingdom, is there a point when you're going to be able to give away 50 or 500? Train yourself in the small things. Do what you can now. And I know some of you are students. Like, I'm not wealthy. I get that. I was a student once. Wasn't, my hair is turning gray, but I assure you it wasn't that long ago. You know, looking back on it, I remember a lot of going for Slurpees we didn't really need, which sometimes creates dental work, and that costs money. Um, right? You go on your Slurpee runs and your burger runs and other things. You can always seem to find $2 or $5 for stuff like that. Always seem to be able to find a little bit here or there for something that you think will be enjoyable or important. But be faithful in little things if you hope that the Lord will entrust you with greater things. That's a very biblical principle right from Jesus. Be faithful in little. The Lord will then entrust you with bigger things. Number three. Determine what our needs and what our wants. And this is such a big challenge for our culture. We're very easily convinced that things are needs. Like I said earlier, we tend to think that if, well, if everybody has this, then it must be something that I need. Whatever, whatever that is. I'm just going to mention one example. I realize this might be controversial. I don't have any easy answers for this. I'm not, this isn't words of condemnation. This is just a thing to think about. Is that it wasn't that long ago, 15 years ago maybe, most families had one phone that sat on the kitchen counter or was attached to a wall somewhere. Now many of us have a phone for each member of our family, even, even for small children. Now, there can be valid reasons for that. You may need the cell phones for work, etc., etc. And I don't know that there's going to be any, any turning back the hands of time and just let's all go back to landlines and get rid of our smartphones. 
probably not a realistic alternative. But I think it is a, a way that our culture just sold us. Yeah, everybody needs one of these. Six years old, sure, have, a, have an iPhone. And those cost a lot of money. The plans, I know, we can bundle them and so forth. But it's just one example where our culture just took one step at a time and here's where we are. And it's hard to go back. Very hard. Maybe impossible. And yet we weren't doing this like 10 or 15 years ago. So it's not actually a need that's a physical need that we have or we will die. The one thing that I really liked about the, the little example that Grace provided us with, find areas where you, can, where you can free up multiple resources. That's what I really liked about this. So you get rid of Netflix. That saves you a few dollars, but it also saves you some time because you're not plopped down in front of your screen watching shows. And Netflix is really good at this. It's just one example. They, they'll auto-play the next episode. And so you're tempted to just sit there and watch three or four. Maybe it's your Netflix or your cable or your satellite. You'd have some more money to invest in Jesus' kingdom. You'd have some, maybe a lot more time to invest in things, to volunteer at the church or care for an elderly or lonely neighbor, do good in the community. You know, maybe your family, you're just sitting down and thinking, we are way too overcommitted. We're busy every day of the week and all of these extracurriculars cost registration fees and money. Maybe we just can't do them all. That would free up some funds and it would also free up some time to be together as a family for, for worship together, for maybe hosting a Bible study at your home. Right? You sacrifice one thing, but it allows you to grow in discipleship in multiple different areas. It could be very beneficial. Last week, one of the final thoughts I put before you was that you know what truly matters most to someone, to us, not by what we say matters most to us, but by what we're willing to sacrifice and by what we're willing to sacrifice for. So these, these things that we've just been talking about, these are some areas that can allow us to maybe probe a little deeper, to ask some questions. What am I currently sacrificing for? What's the thing that gets cut? Should that be what's getting cut? Should I readjust that in some other areas? I've used a a lot in this message the language of spending versus investing. Because I think it captures something that we know in an everyday life kind of a sense. We know the dangers of if you just spend all the money as soon as you earn it, you're not going to be saving anything for the future and you're not going to be growing what you have. But I think it's a great metaphor for what we do in our lives of faith. The concept is the same. Set aside some of your resources even though we'd rather be spending them here and now or on ourselves for the sake of the greater or longer-lasting returns. And in the case of the scripture we heard today, one of those returns is someday hearing our Lord say, well done, good and faithful servant. You did well with what I gave you, whether it was a lot or whether it maybe wasn't all that much, but you did well with it. I'm pleased with you. Enter into the joy of your Lord. As we move towards celebrating the Lord's Supper together, I'd like us to remind ourselves of the grace of God. There can be a temptation when we talk about obedience, and when we go through a season like this where we're focusing on what it means to obey the call of Jesus, where it can be like, oh, that's, that's kind of legalistic, or that's, I don't know, that's works righteousness or something like that maybe. 
Or, or, or we start asking ourselves, well, yeah, but where does grace play into this, right? Isn't God a God of grace? He's not a God of works. He, he accepts us. He justifies us. Here's the thing. The grace of God doesn't just save us from the guilt of our sin. It also saves us from the power of sin, right? That's, that's the grace of God, not just a thing that you take and then leave behind and kind of carry on doing what you want that only affects a few words you say or what you believe up here. The grace of God active in your life affects everything about you, right? There's, there's God's saving grace. There's also God's sanctifying grace, Saving grace enables us to, to be in right standing with God, right? Pronounced innocent, pronounced not guilty, pronounced a child of God, even though we don't deserve it. Didn't deserve it, don't deserve it now. Sanctifying grace enables us to live in obedience to the Lord. It's something we can't do in and of ourselves, not even something we deserve to be able to do. But by His grace, by His Holy Spirit active, in our lives, we can obey. We can walk in faithfulness. We can do what is pleasing to him. And maybe, maybe we don't exactly feel like it at the beginning, but as his grace is active in us, as his spirit is active in us, that changes our hearts. Like I said earlier, to love the things that Jesus loves. To obey not because we'd rather not, but because our hearts are being changed to, to follow our master and love what he loves and even to take joy in that. That's the thing about being a living sacrifice. And I pray that as we, as we move toward gathering around the Lord's table, that partaking in communion can be a reminder of that, that, that Christ has died, Christ has risen, and Christ's coming again. And in the meantime... We can live for him. We get to live for him. We get to be his children. And what a privilege that is. So as we partake, let's remember that. Let's make that an opportunity to invite that grace into our lives afresh. I would invite our, our worship team and our servers.